Good morning. Hey, we're continuing in my favorite Proverbs. I hope they're your favorite Proverbs too. I'm having fun, but I hope you are too. I hope you're learning some things, getting some insight into your walk with the Lord, your, your relationship with Him, and with this world. I haven't talked a, a lot about the character of Proverbs, and it might surprise us, but many Proverbs give us snapshots of what people do. They don't tell us what to do, but they tell us specifically, and they show us what people do. And in showing us what people do, they show us short clips of everyday life, character types, people who are wise and what they do, and people who are foolish and what they do, people who are wicked and people who are righteous, people who are generous and people who are greedy, good-tempered people and bad-tempered people. And these proverbs show us what certain kinds of people do and what, and this is most important, what difference it makes. What the difference is and what the results are of those differences. In fact, these proverbs of this nature that I'm describing, they teach us that tomorrow looks like the choices we've made today. When I was a kid, I was on many occasions the one kid in the room of adults. And so if you're the one kid in the room of adults, it is inevitable that you will be asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, I've thought about that, not just what do I want to be when I grow up, but what do adults say to the one little kid in the room when they want to make conversation and they, they don't know what to say? They say, what do you want to be when you grow up? But what do you think I said? I didn't dream of being a creep or a criminal. Kids don't dream of that. Every kid, I think, wants uh, to be someone in life that other people admire and respect, that they talk about with a smile. There are adults that want to grow up and be like people like that. We want to be people that others praise for being one of the good guys and not one of the bad guys. Today, we're looking at generous guys and greedy guys. By the way, I looked it up, and guys 
is not specific of boys. It includes girls. It includes all people. We use guys that way. Guys includes everybody. So when we talk about generous guys and greedy guys, we're talking about generous people and greedy people. And whether you're a kid or an adult, the question never does go away. What we want to be when we grow up, we're still working on. And one thing I know now that I didn't know then is that tomorrow looks like the choices that you and I make today. And what we want to be tomorrow depends on the little choices that we make today. It's not tomorrow's choices that are important. You see, that's the foolish thinking. That's what heads us in the wrong direction. It's today's choices. And when we know that today's choices are the most important choices, we're on the road to becoming wise. We're on the road to being considered wise. And we're on the road to changing our future. To be according to the decisions we make today. Let's read Proverbs chapter 11. Chapter 11, and let's look at verses 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28. You ready? One gives freely, yet another grows richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Get wisdom. Give it away. Give it away. Get wisdom and give it away. And you know why that is? Is because the wise are grateful people. The wise are people of gratitude. And there are those who give to get when people gamble. They, they give to get. When people invest, when they play the stock market, when you cut coupons, when you shop this store and not that store, you give to get. And sometimes, though, we give to get because we want to look gracious, but really we're in it for the investment. We're in it for the payoff. But what I want to emphasize this morning is not that, but the secret of true generosity, and that is gratitude a heart of gratitude, a spirit of gratitude, an outlook of gratitude, a mindset of gratitude. Gratitude 
Gratitude sees riches that other people don't see. People who are not grateful are blind to the riches of life, the riches that they themselves have. It's gratitude that sees wealth and counts wealth. It's the good miser that's a grateful person because they just review and count and catalog good everywhere they look, outside and inside their lives. The word gratitude is not even found here. But it's the answer to the enigma of these verses. It's the explanation for a person who gives and blesses and seeks good, which is what we see here, portrayed in contrast with a person who is greedy and stingy Gratitude, as I said, is the answer to the enigma of how a a person can have good, give it away, and yet be richer. How does that work? They're numerically poorer. They have less, and yet they're richer. That's gratitude. That's a giving heart. That's the joy of generosity. So give it away, give it away, give it away. Give the good, bless the good, seek the good. And that's what we want to look at in these verses. Let's read again verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. How do you you make that work? That's That's a puzzle. You give it away and yet you have more. Well, if we're just thinking in terms of material wealth, if we're just keeping track of our bank account, our investments, our portfolio, if we're living an even Stephen life, we've got to get an exact payoff for an exact investment. If we're living that way, we'll never be richer. We'll be stingier, but not richer. In verse 24, we have a picture of farming, sowing and reaping, scattering and gathering. We have that sower that we're told about at some point in maybe Sunday school or a sermon that when they sowed seed, they just strew it over the rocky ground, the good ground, the hard ground, the weedy ground. They just threw it. Sometimes they plowed it and just threw it. They didn't count what they threw. They didn't say, well, we we threw 640 million seeds today, so we expect, expect a payoff of 640 plants, and then multiply that by the fruit of each plant. 
and yet you scatter and have more, but then he pictures one who reaps and gathers but has less. How can a hoarder be poorer? I'll tell you the answer. The hoarder has more and more and more, but they don't enjoy the more that they have because they never have enough. Their comfort, their payoff is in the getting and getting more and having more than enough. But they're always afraid of not having enough. My grandmother, when I'd open the refrigerator, there'd be these little bowls, eight peas, a dab of mashed potatoes, just all over the refrigerator. But see, she lived through the Depression when there were soup lines. The abundance that we lived with was not known to them during that time. And so she saved everything against a depression that could come again, catch her, overtake her. People who live in fear do not live in joy. They do not live in abundance. They live in deficiency, vulnerability, the threat, the fear of being unprotected, not having the hedge that they need against the unknown tomorrow. Wise people do not live that way. They trust in the Lord. The fear of the Lord, not the fear of tomorrow. The fear of the Lord, not the fear of the depression. Not the fear of a fallen stock market. Not the fear of depreciated wealth, land prices dropping, the economy in general, the president and the way he runs the country, whoever he or she may be. The point is, the wise person trusts in the Lord each and every day, fears the Lord, knows the Lord is the one who should be feared because the Lord is in control. And the wise person depends on the Lord. Now, a hoarder doesn't get a thrill or have comfort as a result of getting and adding. I mean, it may be in that moment, but the more and the more and the more is not satisfying because it's a form of greed, an unquenchable thirst. But how can a giver, someone who freely gives it away, be richer? Well, here's the answer. Those who scatter they actually have less if you're counting. But they aren't counting because they're already rich. They enjoy all they have, and when they think about all that they have in the Lord, they can't contain the joy because God has been so good to them, both in the past and because of the past as they look into the future. 
And they look around at them and they rejoice in their children. They rejoice in their car. They rejoice in everything. Water on the tap, a light at the flip of a switch, clean air. How rich we are. And they would feel the same way if they weren't here in Visalia. Maybe if they were in another country right now. You see, we want to be seed sowers. We don't want to be seed counters or what we call bean counters. Have you ever known a bean counter? Bean counters beget bean counters. I was raised by a bean counter. That's a very meticulous person who wants everything to be even Stephen. You work a certain amount, you expect a certain return. People who don't work as hard as you work don't deserve what you have. If you don't get what you think you deserve, you're very upset. You're upset for yourself, you're upset for your family, you're upset at your neighbor, you're upset at the machine, you're upset with the establishment, you're upset with Congress, everything in the world is wrong. If things are not even Stephen, if you're not being treated as fairly as you expect to be treated, Every little thing you do deserves an equitable, measurable, equal payoff. And you don't like it when people don't deserve what they get. Now the good, the bad, and the ugly of a bean counter, well the good is they're thrifty, very thrifty. The bad is that thrifty can turn very ugly, which I just described. And ugly because it's very stingy. And there's no, listen, there's no grace. There's no grace in that life. Uh, The bean counter can sing about grace come to church and give thanks for grace, but they don't know grace in their life. They really don't. They think they earned it. They had it coming. They deserve to be loved. They may not say that, but it's there. It's in there. Or they would be gracious, giving, generous people. They would realize how much grace has been bestowed on them that no matter what they did, They didn't deserve the love and the goodness and the outpouring of goodness from God. And so they wouldn't judge others when others don't deserve it. You see? But because they're so judgmental, it's because they're being counters. They're legalists. They're Certified public accountants, ledger keepers. Do you know why I know all about this? It isn't because I read about it. 
It's because I was a bean counter. I told you I was raised by one. And if you're raised by a bean counter, you become a bean counter. That's the way you see the world. Only the grace of God can break that. And maybe a good spouse like I got. God gave me Shelly. And she is a, a very generous person. And I am allowed to see in generous people like her the grace of God. It becomes real. I read about it here. I see it in Jesus. I see the way he treats people. He doesn't say, do 20 push-ups and run five laps, and I'll give, I'll give it some thought whether you, you've earned it or not. He didn't say that. In fact, he was, he was despised. He was rejected because he was so generous. The religious people, you know, the ones that we look up to for guidance and direction at that time, they're the people who said, that guy is all wrong. And that's the one we call Lord. And when we catch that and we look at his life and the way he treated people and we see ourselves there, then we begin to experience that grace and it changes us. And if we're grateful, we never say the word deserve again. We don't have to. In fact, it seems stingy when we realize how much we've been given. Give the good. Bless the good. In verse 25 and 26, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain. But blessing is on the head of him who sells it. See, there's two ways to read this. One way is, this is telling us, don't worry, if you give, you'll get enriched. But in a sense, what happens is that we enter into a contract relationship with God. So, okay, the proverb says, if I give, I'll be enriched. So we give, and then we're on the lookout all the time. See, is it coming? Where's it coming? It didn't come. It should be coming. I deserve it. I gave it. That's a lousy way to have a relationship with God. A contractual one. Contracts were created because of suspicion. We don't expect the promise to be fulfilled. Is that the way to live by faith in God? To be suspicious of him? Well, I gave. It's been five minutes. I don't feel enriched. What's going on? Where are you, God?
But see, that's the way we operate. We clock in, we clock out, we expect a certain amount. We don't live freely. Like, I can give and give and give, but God is going to give and give and give. But I may not always see the balance. In fact, a grateful person sees it like that. God has given way more than I've ever given. There's another way. There's another way that works this way. Way two, don't worry, but don't even keep count because God will come through. Just give and enjoy it. You get to bless when you give like that. That is true blessing. No strings attached. My dad taught me there's always a string. There is no free lunch. And there was no joy either. There was no thrill or excitement or surprise because there was no expectation that the world actually works that way or, more importantly, that God works that way. Gift. The surprise of gift. We can't bless unless we see the good. Do you understand? You only see the good if you're grateful. When I was in high school, I've shared this a few times since I've been here. I've been sharing it my whole life ever since God got a hold of me with his grace. And for the first time, what I had resented at the time when my mother knocked on the door, peeked into my room, which I didn't like, didn't even want her to come in, didn't like her to open the door. She asked me how I was doing. She saw that I was in a funk, and she said, I'll be praying for you, John. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really, that was my, yeah, yeah, yeah. All this heebie-jeebie stuff. Try it. Want to be happier than you are right now? Try it. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. You'll realize how rich you are. And when you realize how rich you are, and rich in Christ too, you'll become a giver. You'll become a blesser. You have to because you've been blessed. What are you doing with the generous people in your life? Are you just enjoying what they give you? Or are you becoming like them? Christ-like, becoming like Jesus. Can anyone outgive him, outbless him? Seek the good. Verses 27 and 28, whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it, that is evil. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, 
but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. See, we don't seek good to get favor. But again, this is, a, this is an artifact of a bean counter. We seek good because we want favor. We want a return on our investment. But there is a way of seeking good because good is good. You see, it's, it's not materially good in terms of dollars and cents. It may be, but it's far bigger than that. But in this world, we are indoctrinated each and every day. How many times? Innumerably. We are indoctrinated every day. What is important is money, material wealth, material goods. And so when we talk about good, we immediately think of money or some form of it. The wise know differently. They know that there is good that they can enjoy and they can use to bless others in times of boon and times of bane, in times of great advantage and times of great disadvantage, because there is good within that nobody can rob you of or steal from you and put it in their bank because it's in your bank. Gratitude is an inner disposition of thanksgiving. And we see in thanksgiving and gratitude, we have eyes to see that God is good. If God is not as good in your eyes as he should be, you need to become more grateful. Verse 28, trust in material wealth and riches is misplaced good. I'll bet one of the first verses you memorized was John 3.16. It's a good verse to memorize and not to forget or think that you've outgrown it. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see the sequence? Because God loved, God gave. Love is an expression of grace, of goodness, of the very heart of God. If we love like he does, we'll give it away. Give it away. Give it away. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and sing. But I want to remind you as we uh, close the service, a lot of us will be up here, some deacons, elders, pastoral staff. If God's spoken to your heart this morning and you want to pray with someone, talk with someone, bring something to the Lord and have them intercede for you or join you in prayer or praise or thanksgiving, we invite you to come. Will you stand with me and let me pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great love, 
You are so good to us. By your Spirit, you give us power to become more and more like Jesus, more and more like you, O Lord, more beautiful, more generous, more giving and loving, more carefree, more full of faith and joy and peace. Thank you, Lord, for such great wealth and goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said,